We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rookie draft strategy and late round rookie values. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch from my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotoviz. And Sean, when we left off earlier this week, we were doing our rookie draft. I got a little feedback that it was almost hard to follow all of the trades that we made and 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 how much energy we put into moving around the board. And, to anyone who had that feedback, I once again must compliment you for helping us manage that draft. I, I thought, you know, it went really well for me where you did all the work and I got to reap all the benefits of being a very active uh, dynasty manager, which is a a huge benefit. Um, but we had a ton of picks. And I guess just to update to, to the point where we were at in the rookie draft, we had taken Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Sky Moore. David Bell, Wandell Robinson in the second round. And then in the third, we got, oh, we were we were about to be up in the third. So we got through to 304. We had traded back a little bit. We had some targets we were alluding to. We were one pick away. And so we wanted to start by kind of updating on, on the, the late round targets that we wound up grabbing. And Ben gives me a little bit too much credit there. We've obviously been discussing all these picks, and it has been a lot of fun to do this with Ben. It's been a lot of fun to do with Blair Andrews and Monty Fawn and the other couple of uh, Triflex drafts that I'm doing. Curtis Patrick and I are in a regular FFP Superflex. This is this is just the best, right, Ben? Have a lot of picks to be able to move around. We were looking through the transaction log in our league. Almost all the trades are us and some other manager in the league and that's one of the huge benefits of having a lot of picks is that you can hit your guys where you want sometimes even a pick early without giving up a lot of value you don't have to move up three or four picks ahead to do it sometimes you can even wait on it you have the pick volume to move back up when you want to maybe make two in a row you can move down when you have three or four guys about even all of that flexibility has been great it's been like I said, just a lot of fun. It has resulted in a lot of time on the clock. I, I felt like the first three days of this week that I was on the clock in multiple drafts pretty much the whole way. I did wake up this morning and I was on the clock, I think, in every draft and also in the FFPC best ball tournament draft that I'm doing with Zachary Kruger. So it's, it's an exciting to, way to start the day, right? You get up and, and you get to do fantasy football, which 
I'm blessed to be able to do a lot of times anyway with Rotovis, but I mean, that's, that's the way to live. So we're excited about this. We mentioned, and you mentioned that we did leave listeners the 304 and we're going to do a show today kind of talking about some late round values. I think that there are a lot of people, definitely you and I are very invested in this round. We spent maybe more time on this round, even than round one. I think there are some, I won't say egregious, but there are some very intriguing values in this round where I think perhaps there's some anchoring to some other elements. And as a result, you can get some guys a little bit cheaper maybe than where they should go. And so we'll be trying to help people find some of those values late in their drafts. I wrote an article earlier this week talking about what you can do if you've actually traded out of all of your high round or high leverage picks and you can get back and get the the rookie discount versions of those guys now the discount versions of those guys aren't going to hit as often but if you pick the right players you will occasionally get your stefan diggs and your robbie anderson and your elijah mitchell and you know we can go on and on with the different examples of that they're rare but they're important and so uh, and then even in the third round we've got some guys here who were drafted ben on day two and so that part of it i mean you're still thinking their team is going to give them some work you'll be able to get back out of that pick at some point probably with not a lot of loss even if the player doesn't do much and a huge game if the player does do something so the pick of the 304 was Keontae ingram that one is a little bit of a reach by adp and it's probably one that we are not on because we're you know benjamin fans but you can see a very easy scenario in which Connor goes down, Ingram steps in, and you know he scores a lot of points. So even though it's an ADP reach, you can definitely understand the contingency-based reason for making that pick. And then we were up next, and we may or may not have drafted someone that we talk about a lot and talked about for 10 minutes at the end of the previous show. Yeah, so there was actually, uh, I think, one more pick. Jalen Tolbert went off the board as well. But we were looking at Sam Howell, who we've talked about plenty of times on the show. And a couple of running backs, and we wound up moving up. So we had two picks in a row, then didn't have a pick, and then another pick. We wound up moving up one spot to, to get three in a row to, to be able to take all three of these guys because we couldn't really decide between the three. But we took Howell, who, as we talked with the cutdowns in this league, may not even make our roster, might be the least likely to make our roster, but we wanted to at least get a chance to see how he looks in the preseason. And we took Tyrion Davis-Price, Who's sort of the bigger back mold has the size speed combo. San Fran took him in round three, another day two pick at running back. Probably not a, a direct threat to Elijah Mitchell's work. I think the way that we're kind of thinking about it is they've talked about not wanting to use Debo Samuel as much as a runner, or Debo Samuel doesn't want to be used as much as a runner. It was really interesting that the day after the draft, he refollowed San Francisco on social media. Uh, the big you know, marker of our time of whether the, the player is happy with his team or not. Maybe that was something that they told him, hey, look, we got this back that's going to solve that problem for us because we don't really like Trey Sermon. But he has uh, a really nice size speed profile and could potentially be their, you know, big back, if you will. They're inside the tackle back where, where um, Elijah Mitchell's more of the, you know, outside zone runner. And then we also got Kenneth Gainwell. We also broke into the veteran market. We were the first ones to take a veteran in this draft, which you can do in this rookie draft. We didn't really want to let Gainwell 
slip or risk that he might make it another couple of picks. And he's somebody that we're still very high on. He is. And so this was an interesting section. You mentioned that Jalen Tolbert went there as well. He's someone that we have much higher than this spot in the road of his rookie guide. Very strong numbers in 2020 and 2021 there with South Alabama has comps to Michael Gallup could easily go in and kind of be in that role before Gallup is healthy this season. If there's any type of delay there, he should be going up ahead of a couple of the earlier guys. So when you can get him in this range, that's a very, very good pick. He's someone you should be trading in to at least consider. He wasn't one of our targets because we had already taken so many wide receivers. And so we're pivoting back to some different positions. Quarterback is a weakness for us in that we only have two. We have two guys we really like in Murray and Derek Carr, but injuries can come into play it's nice to have that third quarterback for the bye weeks now i mean if your team is strong enough overall you can come through there but we talk a lot about the key in dynasty and what you're trying to do you can't necessarily control the playoff scoring but over the course of the season you need to get as many buys as you possibly can you know if you're going to take two weeks out of the season where you're only playing one qb then that potentially can hurt you in terms of getting the buy so if we can get stronger at that spot we would like to do it. Tyrion Davis Price, Ben, this one is interesting to me because you pull up the Rotoviz Triflex ADP on our Dynasty tool on the site. One of the things that I like to do, I mean, you can go through there, you can see earliest drafted, you can see latest drafted, you can see average. I like to pull up the draft grid because visualizing where these players are going, I think, really helps you internalize or conceptualize sort of how these players are coming off of the board and this i think is the tension between how much credit should we give to what we felt like the player was coming in and how much should we give to the draft slot and what that tells us about opportunity and then especially if there actually is opportunity with the team that drafted him he's going at the 306 on average that's after zamir white at the 210 Algier at the 212, Brian Robinson at the 302. Those are interesting names because Algier has the clear opportunity. He seems like the guy who should be going more up in the Damian Pierce kind of range. And just to give that range too, the beginning of round two is 203 Rashad White, 204 Isaiah Spiller. He was someone we tried to get and failed. Damian Pierce, the 205. Algier seems like he might be in that group. And then Davis Price seems like a player who at the very least should be in the White Robinson group when you consider really how bad the landing spots are for those guys. Now, you mentioned the size speed element for Davis Price. And obviously he goes to this team where we've seen them make use of this. I think that most NFL scouts and fantasy managers are concerned by the fact that he was not a particularly good player in college doesn't have much of a receiving background did rush for a thousand yards in his final season at lsu but every single season his yards per carry average was below five we know it's a red flag when the running backs cannot put up impressive efficiency numbers in college so there's another signal point in the opposite direction from you know his timed speed with the size how should i mean how should we look at this he was definitely a target for us we think he should be higher do you have white and robinson as guys 
considering where they landed that would be even in the same group with him? Or or is he your, kind of your only target in that range? Robinson and White are guys that there's a lot of people that seem to like them as players. I don't think I, – I, I don't really love the landing spot for either. I mean, Robinson, they're already talking about potentially being in this – one-two punch with Antonio Gibson, but Gibson is there and J.D. McKissick's there. So even if Gibson gets hurt and Robinson plays, that ceiling seems to be somewhat capped. So you're you're needing an injury and then not necessarily having substantial upside because, I mean, he could also just not be very good. We, we, we need to be sure that he's good as well, right? And then you have Zemir White going to a roster that the Raiders are low-key really deep, and you have – at running back and you have Josh McDaniels taking over and it feels a little bit like the Patriots vibe where, you know, Josh Jacobs is going really late and he's potentially a value. We took him last night on ship chasing and we were talking about him a little bit. One of the appeals to Josh Jacobs over the last few years has been that he has such a strong hold on the early down work. And then last year, we've, we see him finish, I think it was fifth among all running backs and receptions. We see the receiving work accelerate as well which was just you know fantastic for him and people are still not buying and so you can certainly see an argument for him my concern with the zamir white pick with Kenyon drake still being on the roster and with the the raiders bringing over brandon bolden which i mean brandon bolden's always been kind of a key special teamser but the patriots did rely on him to fill the james white role pretty much all last year after james white got hurt and now mcdaniel's bringing him over concerns me a little bit that that might just be the guy that he trusts to play that role and catch passes. And then whatever Kenyon Drake is, but then also adding Zamir White, you have these like multiple backs that mix in for early down touches and Bolden might mix in for this pass catching role. It's just a big log jam. I mean, we've seen running backs emerge with the Patriots in, in the sense that, you know, taking cheap shots on different running uh, Patriot running backs can make sense. But, you know, at this price, if, if we're saying it's that type of a situation, and Zamir White could emerge, but it would need a little bit of shuffling. I just don't want to pay that that price necessarily. And it, it is tough to see a scenario where he's getting a lot of work early in his career and as somebody that you're keeping on your roster in this type of format over multiple years. Because at the at the absolute best, you still have Josh Jacobs, you know, there. And then if Jacobs does get hurt or whatever, you have Kanan Drake there. And so there's a big group. I, yeah, I mean, I think you put it right. Davis Price would be the guy that I'm targeting more because that early opportunity. Keontae Ingram, same deal. You know, you, you mentioned it, but we don't even know if he's a, the, the handcuff or the backup. He was a late rookie, uh, a late draft pick. And, and you know, we knew the Cardinals were going to just kind of add more bodies at running back. It doesn't really move the needle. Uh, it's one of those things where from a fantasy perspective, it's like, oh, well, the backup job is open for James Conner. That's really interesting. But we have no indication that he's better than, you know, Benjamin. And clearly, you know, you and I think that's not going to be the case. So those are guys that it's really sort of tough for me to see the path. I mean, the, the, the capital was there more for Robinson and White, but don't love the offenses. Don't even love necessarily the big picture ceiling if they did get a, a big opportunity because what like are these offenses going to score enough touchdowns for for these guys to you know to be in contention for multiple touchdown games those types of scenarios are harder to envision it takes injuries and then still i don't feel comfortable with what i would believe i have in those players for tier davis price i mean they 
the the narrative or the 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 logic behind the pick is a lot easier. So I yeah, I think I would I would describe it as you did, where he'd be kind of the only target. He's got the size, speed. He's got um, you know competition, but the 49ers basically told us they don't like Trey Sermon, and they went and drafted Tyrion Davis Price in the third round the next year. So not that hard to envision a scenario where he's ahead of Sermon for that bigger back role. They don't want to use Debo in that role anymore. And so then he's what an Elijah Mitchell injury away from from potentially being the every down back because he does have enough speed at his size to potentially also be their best option as that outside zone big play type runner that Moster Elijah Mitchell role. If Mitchell goes down, I don't know who who that next guy is. Moster's not on the roster anymore, so there's definitely scenarios for Tyrion Davis Price where you're like, okay, he's one of the main backs in a really lucrative rushing attack. So yeah, I mean. Comparing him to those guys that went ahead of him, I, I think it's easy to say that Davis Price is a better target, or for me, a, a more favorable target. And one of the things that has been a justification for the draft pick is that as the 49ers continue to mix in some other run concepts into their offense as well, that they think that he can do some of those elements perhaps better than the other running backs on the roster. That part of it is interesting. You mentioned the situation is better. The 49ers backfield is both good and bad from a future trade perspective because one of the reasons that we're targeting him and one of the main considerations when you have roster spot crunch and or just as you're taking some of these picks that you expect not to be as valuable overall is you only looking at players where something good happens for them they're going to really spike in value the 49ers backs probably are never going to have the type of value that consolidates at a really high level because we know that what happened here to Elijah Mitchell can happen to the next guy. I mean, if, if Tyrion Davis Price is the next guy, there will still be someone behind him. And so you're not going to get this home run trade for him at any point, even if he ends up being very good. But you have the potential to score and you have the potential to get back out at a profit because it's very easy for other managers to see the scenario where those points could be on their roster at the point where they needed it. So that part is nice. And I think that that's why we were targeting there. That's why we have him a little bit higher in terms of where we think that he should go. It'll be also interesting, and I'll ask you in a minute about Pierre Strong and Hassan Haskins. Those guys are going later, and I think also have a better argument, or at least a similar argument to Zamir White and Brian Robinson. So when we look at this idea of where are your picks, how can you get exactly the same value at you know a full round discount, they might be some options. But Ben, the next player that we selected, as you mentioned, was Kenneth Gainwell. He's an interesting guy, right? And so if you're not that interested in our deep rookie picks, there are some players here who are still very relevant uh, in other formats as well. And so we actually made another trade. We didn't have three picks in a row, but we had the pick after this. We didn't want to risk losing him there. We really had had him as the top guy on our board for a while. But because of rookie enthusiasm, which we also share, we're not we're not trying to claim that we're immune to that. But because of rookie enthusiasm, we thought that he probably would be the guy who lasted. And so we risked that he did last. We traded a future third for a future fourth and fifth to move up that slot. Now, that third round pick, again, is is likely to be more valuable. At the same time, we just mentioned some running backs that we think have the same value in the fourth round as guys going in the third round it picks up the extra fifth round pick that fifth round pick in the future you're thinking okay well that pick probably isn't that valuable and at the same time that pick can be used to move up a pick or two when you feel like you desperately need to so again it gives you that flexibility to make future trades 
it can seem like this is too many picks. You can't use them, but that flexibility is huge. And right here, it allows us to get into Kenneth Gainwell. We don't know whether or not we would have needed to make that pick, uh, to make that trade to get Gainwell. The guy who went right after us was Justin Ross, who is going in that spot. But that's a weird one because despite our just unbridled and completely irrational enthusiasm, that actually seems a little bit, <laughs> bit high to us. But before we get to Ross, Gainwell, right? Here's a back who, in an offense that looks like it's going to be very explosive next season, and at the same time might still run through the running backs more than we want it to, he leads the, the Eagles backs in yards per route. He was the only one of their backs with meaningful air yards. I know that you like both of those elements. He had the best broken tackle percentage of the group and his 21% evasion rate. And these are numbers that you can find both in the stealing signals and in the advanced static score. So the different ones for for different nuance with these stats, but 21% evasion rate was just below Javante Williams last year who gets, I mean, the enthusiasm with Williams is that he was just extraordinary when the Broncos let him have the ball and that all their offensive line didn't give him a lot of great chances. And so almost all of his work was done after contact. Now it's apples and oranges because Gainwell didn't have to maintain that lofty evasion rate through nearly as many touches but the thing here is this is a guy who came in as a very interesting prospect, was good at Memphis, you know, arguably much better than Antonio Gibson with some of the overlap that they had, and then comes back and had what I would consider to be a stealthily fantastic rookie year. One of these guys who could take a big jump in year two. Yeah, we were just joking before the show about <clears throat> this concept of, you know, if this guy was in the class, where would he go? I mean, we're, we're kind of, I guess building off of Pete Carroll's comments that Drew Locke would have been the first quarterback, but Gainwell would have been the third running back in this class, right? I mean, pretty easily. He had a really impressive profile. It was a surprise that he fell to round five last year in a better running back class. He still should have been a day two pick for, for most people. When you look at the profile and, and the receiving work he had in, in college and, and uh, all the different elements, and then you look at what how he was used last year, as you said, especially when they were throwing a little bit more early in the year, he was catching passes, essentially got usurped by Boston Scott for a stretch, and into the late part of the year, wasn't playing a ton. But then he got the start in uh, week 18. The, the Eagles played Dallas. Neither team needed to play much. And he was good in that game, ran effectively, got uh, 12 carries, ran for 78 yards and a touchdown. That was one off his season high in carries. And then when they went into the postseason, they played him a little bit more than they had been late in the season. He had uh, five catches for 49 yards and a touchdown against Tampa in that game. And then you go into his offseason, the Eagles didn't really add anyone. They got uh, UDFA Kennedy Brooks. They still have Boston Scott and Jason Huntley. I can't recall what for how much time Jordan Howard was on their roster last year. He's been on and off the Eagles roster so much over the last few years, but he's not there anymore. They might still add someone else, but it, it looks like it's Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell right now going into next year. And that maybe the Eagles are coming around to the idea, especially if you look at their offseason moves, the fact that they didn't even bring in any of these really cheap, low-cost running backs to this point. And they might still, but to this point, at least tells us something, that they might be comfortable with what they have. And that, that includes Boston Scott still, but Gainwell is a much more exciting player. It's an easy bet to make on year two that he continues to establish himself because he played well, as you said, in, in his rookie year. We got in, in his small sample, 
positive elements that teams are looking at as well. He didn't have the draft capital last year. He wasn't going to be guaranteed anything. He played well early, but obviously was making some type of mistakes. Who knows? It's usually pass blocking or something, some type of mental mistake that costs these rookies playing time. But I mean, we see that with any rookie, right? We saw it with Jonathan Taylor. I always go back to this in his rookie season where he had that three-game stretch who barely touched the ball. He was playing really uh, – he was playing a lot really early when Marlon Mack got hurt. Then he has this stretch. Then he comes back and has a great late part of the season in his rookie year. Gainwell had sort of a, you know, a, a more of a fifth round running backs version of that, right? Where he started hot, was being was playing a lot, and then the team kind of went away from him for whatever reason, but then closed with those couple games late where he showed something and that usage in the playoff game I think is really notable and then the lack of moves like I said. So you you're going into this year with this good profile, maybe now that bumpy rookie year did more to establish him than his fifth round draft capital gave him any reason to be established going into year one. And now we don't, have, now we have this guy with a really good prospect profile that, I mean, frankly, I think we would have probably in a perfectly equitable room where we were, you know, not playing, playing things a little bit and seeing how long the veterans might last. We would have, I would have been comfortable taking Gainwell almost a, like a full round earlier before some of these other running backs, maybe not over some of the receivers that we actually took, but a guy who, feels like a really nice piece to add to our running back group that needs upside pieces. And there's not a ton in this rookie class. So it was a fun way to get exposure to another young player, very similar argument to a lot of the rookies, but we get sort of that post hype, you know, after year one discount, even though there shouldn't be any discount on King Paul, as we're saying, like he's, he's actually probably in a better spot this off season than he was last year. Yeah, I like him a lot there. We we also selected him in our rookies and sophomores draft. So we'll hope that that allows us to overcome maybe some of the QB picks we made in that draft over there on underdog. So then, Ben, Ross does go. And we obviously had made the decision to let him slide. We do have another pick coming up, but he wasn't super likely to make it. How, how were your emotions after he went off the board there? Yeah, not thrilled. Uh <laughs> I've been, I, I, he went one pick before me in a fourth round and in another league. I've been definitely trying to get him, but as you say, the 309 in a super flex tight end premium format is, you know, it's tricky. It's tricky with Ross. We really, really like him, but he already has the issue of being a UDFA where the way I would describe this, I was having some conversations with some people is you're, you're just sort of starting on a different plane. When you have draft capital, the way I would think about draft capital, when you have draft capital, you are already sort of thought of as being a part of the mix for that position group by the people who made the decision to draft you, right? So they put in the investment, the draft pick into you. And so when you go into rookie camp, when you go into training camp in your first year, you're already thought of as sort of being on the team, right? And you have then this opportunity to fail in practice, to have some mental mistakes, to have some issues. And every rookie is going to, we hear the reports from camp all the time. No one's going to come right into an NFL camp. Think about it from a personal level and just know how to do everything on a new offense and in a whole new league than what they were playing in in college. I mean, some guys have remarkable maturity and are able to do it very quick, but it's, it's tough, right? So they're going to have their bumps. When you have the draft capital, you can have those bumps and still be factored into that mix, you're going to get more opportunities. You have to play your way out of that. You have to be very bad, basically, and continuously show that you're not 
what the team thought they were getting. The flip side, and, and then you still, I think, have the, certainly the opportunity to, to play really well in camp and surprise, and then suddenly you might be a day one starter. The flip side of that when you don't have draft capital is you are being penciled in as on the roster bubble. And so when you have those struggles, when you don't flash right away, when you when you stumble a little bit, it is harder to get additional opportunities because there's 90 guys in these, you know, or more in these camps and eventually cut down to 90, right? There's a lot of a lot of players they want to get reps to and get a look at. When you stumble, you're not guaranteed to get additional opportunities. I think Ross, more than others, will be given you know multiple opportunities when you read about what Kansas City thinks about him and likes about him. But it's not you it's not a thing where you uh have to play your way out of the roster spot. If you don't you now have to play well enough to give them a reason to keep you as opposed to when you have the draft capital doing that might just make you a day one starter, like I said. But when you're a UDFA, you have to play your way in. And that's a it's a big difference in terms of the challenge for Ross over the next few months, he's going to have to come looking healthy and looking good. We think he's very capable of that, but that's a tough bet. And then on top of that, obviously in dynasty formats, you're talking about even if he is able to do that and play his way onto the roster, which again, we like that bet. I want to make that bet. I want to be all in Ross's camp. And we've talked about his medical stuff in the past in depth you have still that issue where even if he does play his way on and they're really excited about him, you know, the scary reality that things could be changed in his future. And we don't know if you'll have a long NFL career and that's just the reality of it. And so he makes sense. I think in the fourth round, he, he certainly has more upside than any of the receivers just pure upside than any of the receivers, I think in this range, but you're dealing with that two pronged thing where we're already not sure about the length of his career. And again, I'm more in his camp and hoping that he plays a really long career and gets a second contract, plays as long as he wants, gets out healthy when he wants. Just can't not more than anyone, but I'm in that camp with pretty much everyone. I think everybody's in that camp, but then you have the second prong now as a UDFA that he has to play his way out of the roster in year one. And that's already tough enough. Right? So, it's tough to take him this high when you're drafting him over receivers who got some draft capital. There's another guy we're looking at in the next round. There's a day two pick and is, is still you know on the board. That guy's going to have the, the first situation that I was talking about where he's going to have to play his way off the roster. Yeah, top 50 picks still available in the fourth round. And you know you think back to last season and jamar chase with the drops and that kind of thing but it wasn't just that right i mean there were reports that he was not flashing in Bengals camp and again it's going to be flashing compared to what the expectations are for a prospect at that level but even for someone who's that good i mean <laughs> this generational prospect at wide receiver there's no guarantee that in your first month you're going to be this dominant force that pushes everyone else aside and you know, for someone like Ross and for a lot of these guys who weren't drafted, they go through these stretches on different teams and the vast majority of them just simply aren't good enough. Right. But then the ones who are good enough, it often takes a long time because you don't know where that window is going to be, where they play well enough to push their way onto a roster. In many cases, it will have been like the window where they actually showed out would have been just after the team would have cut them because the teams have tough decisions that they have to make they can't just keep everybody at every position and so it it does get very challenging there 
we broke the seal on the veterans, and as a result, or not as a result, but subsequently, Marlon Mack goes at the 310. Jamison Crowder goes at the 311. Those are both pretty interesting picks because, you know, Damian Pierce goes a full round earlier. Those two guys will probably be battling for the starting role with the Houston Texans. Mack is now sort of entering that time period where if he does actually recover fully from his Achilles tear, that he would be back to his original explosiveness. It's tough, I think, because people probably are not going to give you a big trade, a big piece for him, even if he looks good. Whereas Damian Pierce, if he looks good, you can get back out of him at a profit in all likelihood. And so even though Marlon Mack is almost certainly the better player here, you can understand how from a trade value perspective, he would go a full round later. Jamison Crowder, basically a much better version of Cole Beasley, you know, Beasley scored plenty of points with the Bills. Terrish Marshall is the 312. He was obviously a fun guy last year with the Panthers to dream on before the season happened. And now, obviously, he would be a post-hype type of player. Mitchell Trubisky, the 401. Then we have been looking at these quarterbacks in some of the other drafts that I was in. The veterans were maybe a little bit more interesting. Monty Vaughn and I selected Marcus Mariota. We think that he has... I mean, we also like Desmond Ritter, but think that Mariota has a chance to hold the job for the full year. There's at least this slight possibility that Mariota actually looks good. And, you know, you, you look at that and you're saying, okay, well, if he's not the starter for the Falcons in 2023, there are going to be other teams that need quarterbacks regardless of how it works out. If Mariota looks good at the beginning, then, I mean, I think he's got his career more or less revived because teams are going to keep meeting guys. And we've got the Seattle Seahawks currently, you know, trying to explain that Drew Locke and, and Geno Smith could could make it go. Trubisky for me is a little bit trickier. And again, this is not some sort of prohibitive price by any stretch. But when you're looking at having to cut back down to 20 roster spots, I guess my concern would be that it's going to be hard for him to hold the position regardless of how well he plays because they took a first round pick at QB. And then the other element of it is that as a result of that, it seems like it's going to be hard for him to play well enough, early enough to trade that pick. And so we're kind of always looking at this through the, the lens of, you know, how much trade value are some of these players going to have? You and I have been joking, I think, off the air that, uh, you know, Geno Smith is actually a good pick because quarterbacks and Superflex are so valuable. And if you have enough roster spots, then you want to create that flexibility for yourself. And so, so you sent me a fun message yesterday saying that you'd actually taken Geno Smith in our quarantine league that is very deep, is having a six-round rookie draft and has, I believe, 30 roster spots. How, how are you looking at these guys in different leagues where you have different types of flexibility? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. That's why I was making the case earlier this offseason, kind of a, you know, harebrained take at, at one point on, I believe on, on Ceiling Bananas, that the Falcons should have signed him to a similar AAV deal that they did, but for more years. Because I think you can be pretty confident that he can be a long-term backup and you're making that bet. And you already know that your answer at quarterback is going to be a rookie, whether it's Ritter or the 2023 or what have you. And so it wouldn't be like cap prohibitive prohibitive to have him on like a four year deep, like backup deal when you also have a rookie QB contract alongside it. But that would have given them some actual upside in the signing of Mariota, where if he ends up does playing well, you were talking about how it could rehab his career. Now you have him locked up. You're in a little bit more of a position of leverage. Probably he would want an extension if all those things happened or, or some types of restructure if he if he plays his way back to being good and a clear starter. But just from a from a team perspective, it seemed interesting. You you look at some of the you know the teams that have done things that have taken away their leverage, like Minnesota with Cousins, and they're constantly just like get paying Cousins so much more money than he's worth and, and crushing their cap. You get into a situation where you have him under contract and he's playing really well. Maybe you give him a little bit more money, or you you adjust things, but you you have sort of the the leverage in the situation. It'd be a hugely tradable contract. It would be a hugely tradable contract. There's like basically no downside, really. I mean, other than you're you're kind of locking up a lot of money, but and maybe Mariota didn't want to sign that type of deal. But I imagine if you were giving him an opportunity to be a starter this year, regardless, and giving him multiple years and a little bit more guaranteed money than you gave him, he probably would have taken that because he's at a position in his career where the more guaranteed money he can get would probably be fine. Anyway, I thought that was very interesting because, as you say, if, if he plays really well, he could rebound his career, and that now he's a free agent again. And the comp that I used earlier in the offseason is Ryan Tannehill coming from Miami and then rebounding his career at Tennessee, and then Tennessee immediately not having him signed and needing to give him a huge contract. They immediately that first offseason had to make a decision. Are we all in on Ryan Tannehill, or are we, you know what are we doing? And they did. They, they gave him a, a very big deal. Anyway, that aside, I, I do think Mariota has that that possibility in him. I completely agree with you there, and it's a it's a fun pick. I more or less completely agree with you on Trubisky as well. Where it's it was interesting that he signed a deal that was very playing time related, heavily you know incentivized contract. Where I think his contract can be worth like double if he plays a ton, uh, and will be worth a lot less if he doesn't. It's sort of a starter backup hybrid contract where if he's the backup he gets paid backup money like as i was just describing with the mariota contract which means that the steelers really have no incentive to play him they took kenny pickett in the first round for a reason i I mean i'm kind of just reading it as the writings on the wall kenny pickett's going to start week one 
tough luck Mitch Trubisky sort of a deal. We have you there. If Pickett's not good enough, then you can play. But they're going to go with their first-round quarterback. And like you said, even if Trubisky does start in week one, and even if he is good, you have a first-round quarterback behind you. And anytime you do, the first time you have a bad game or you start to look not very good or even average or whatever, a couple bad mistakes, and quarterback's a tough position, you got to be a lot better than what Mitch Trubisky has shown to not have those whispers of when's the right time to start playing Kenny Pickett and see what we have in our first-round quarterback. So I'm with you on, on him as well where – Mariota could have those whispers as well, but Ritter was a third rounder and you have a much different sort of situation, a less competitive roster as well, which might be an argument for if they're not good as a team, Ritter might get that shot late. But with the Steelers, I mean, they're not going to, they're not going to have a long leash for Trubisky. If he does start week one, Mariota might have a little bit of a longer one while they kind of just try to stay above water. There's not high expectations in Atlanta. So I agree with you completely on those. Gino's an interesting one. As as you said to me that, you know, you're kind of joking that you think he's going to be the starter because we both just sort of don't think Drew Locke is very good. Gino's not great, but he's better than Drew Locke is sort of the, the argument there. And one of those guys is going to play basically all year this year. The CX didn't bring in another quarterback. And so this is a, a super flex best ball league where quarterback depth is important and I don't have it. He became my fifth quarterback. I took Sam Howell in the same draft as a fourth quarterback. That's probably not going to score me any points. I think my other quarterbacks were like Stafford, Justin Fields, and I, I don't even remember who the third one is, but it's not a big name. And so I'm kind of in this position where I'm trying to throw bodies at it in a best ball sense and, and hoping that Geno Smith starts, you know, 15 games this year. <laughs> I like that play. I've always liked Geno. I probably am guilty of the same thing that, we were joking about with the Seahawks the other day where I'm like, if he just had been in this situation or that situation or, or what have you, but I do like that pick. So it was fun to get that message from you. And then, then we were back on the clock at the four Oh two. And <laughs> this one was kind of funny because we exchanged a lot of emails and then we actually picked not the player we intended to, uh, or we picked a player that we was in the discussion and that we, very much wanted but then i did get a message back from you saying <laughs> that that wasn't exactly what, what you were saying with the scenarios that part is always fun i think when you're you're managing with somebody else and you you have discussions over the course of multiple days and then at the end you're still not quite on the same page <laughs> the best part about this one was we were talking about romeo dubs who were both really high on and really like I, i've been really excited about him largely because i don't really believe in christian watson as a small school guy uh who wasn't productive until later in his college career has a great size speed profile has the way more draft capital than dubs but dubs was drafted it felt a little bit it feels a little bit like when the packers drafted jamal williams and aaron jones the same year and jamal williams had the head start for sure because the team drafted him higher but Dubs has this really interesting production profile where the Packers need somebody to catch the ball. And it, it wouldn't be that surprising in this particular spot. And that's why you make this bet in the fourth round for Dubs to essentially be the better player than Christian Watson long term when you look at both of their profiles. So it's a good landing spot and a good situation where he could potentially move ahead of a guy who was a much earlier pick in the reality draft on his same team. And, and you, to continue to talk about Dubs, you sent me something that got me even more excited, which was that he timed incredibly fast via GPS at the senior bowl. So 
we know he actually has some pretty good athleticism. We didn't get him. We didn't get a forty time on him. I don't think right this off season. No, I've I've, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of reading on Dubs Ben, and I every time I dive in, I, I find something else new. the The Packers did mention that Senior Bowl time as one of the reasons that they liked him. They've mentioned throughout the process that they think he plays very fast. He wasn't available for the combine or I think Nevada's pro day, but did run for them and they timed him in the four fives, which is not a deal breaker. It's also not great. The thing that was interesting about these actual on-field times, both practice times and, and game times with the senior bowl is that his max speed, which is different, you know, than your acceleration and that kind of thing, but was faster than a bunch of guys who ran in the four threes. And so when you combine that with a player who is bigger, I think maybe than people realize that 6'1, 201 pounds, huge hands, if you can run a little bit and he's been a vertical receiver as well for them at times, I mean, that's something you can dream on, I think. Yeah. And has the production in college, right? And so there's a lot to like there, but the, the funny element, we've we've both talked about wanting him and and when you know how late can we go till we get him he was uh, definitely a clear target for us the other guy we talked a little bit about was Tyquan Thornton who ran the fastest 40 time at the combine this year his unofficial time was sub 4-2 it would have shattered John Ross's record then they they made it official and it, it was just a little bit slower than John Ross's record he goes in day two to the Patriots we don't necessarily love the landing spot Good, for obvious reasons. The Patriots are the Patriots. They have a ton of guys. They don't ever really feature one guy in a way at any position in a way that ends up being really great for fantasy. And yet you pointed out to me a really great point that Mac Jones was fantastic with speedy receivers at Alabama. You can see scenarios where maybe Thornton becomes his favorite target early on and, and quick enough. And that means that he has to play a lot for Mac Jones development. It's something that's really working well with Mac Jones and that gets Thornton on the field more. And if Thornton's good enough, they're not going to leave him off the field for, you know, Nelson Aguilar and, and Kendrick Bourne, as much as you love Kendrick Bourne, they will for Jacoby Myers, who I love. And then, I mean, you still have Hunter Henry and you have John Smith. There are, there's so many guys that are probably going to have games for the Patriots and Thornton will probably be one of them, but kind of hard to see scenarios where he's going to be heavily featured, but he's a guy that I know you liked and we're looking at, and we were sort of we we're also picking at 405, and we we're sort of talking about well, who can we try to sneak through to 405 potentially? And so the message that I sent you that you alluded to, I was like, okay, I had been talking about dubs, like, hey, Sean, it's it's time to take dubs, it's time to take dubs, but you've been very patient with our picks. And so I was trying to say, well, look, I guess the question is who can we sneak through? You know, I do really want to take dubs, but are you feeling like Thornton is more likely to go? earlier than dubs or, or essentially more likely to go in the two picks between our picks than dubs might be. But as a, the way that I framed it was sort of confusing. And, and so you took that as essentially me saying that we, we should take dubs then. And, and you went and selected dubs, which I was just doing backflips about because I didn't really want to take Thornton and risk dubs not slipping through. I wanted to risk Thornton not slipping, not making it to us. <laughs> And you had mentioned also that it was fun to get because our buddy Michael Leone has been taking him in a lot of your rookie drafts. That 
it's been interesting because they've been kind of flip-flopping in the dynasty ADP here in this range of drafts where you will get some guys going in obviously a much wider range than earlier on. Dubs is the player who you could actually see him leading his team in receiving as a rookie, even though he was drafted very late, which obviously pulls a little bit in the other direction. Thornton, this guy who is a top 50 pick, a top 50 pick in a situation where the Patriots traded up Despite the fact that if they stay put, they're they're going to get either Thornton, Alec Pierce, or Sky Moore, and so that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But it does give you the sense that they actually liked him a lot better than those other two guys because the Patriots are very fond of moving down and picking up picks. Now, for the, in the same way that we sometimes use some of our late picks to make a move like this when we didn't necessarily need to you just don't know but you kind of want to get your guy it may be something where they actually like the guys all right but just thought look i mean what we're giving up doesn't really matter so let's go get thornton but i do think it's a little bit odd just how far below those other two guys he does go when you consider that he was drafted ahead of him he's got this fantastic speed Uh, the things you read about him suggest he's extremely high character guy which would be a good fit for the needs that they have there in new england and i mean I, i think that there are some situations where we can get too hung up in you know what the depth chart looks like you and i tend to talk about it more from a redraft perspective where you're looking in those like round four to round seven you know make sure you're taking the best players don't get caught up in what the you know week one through week four workload projects to be especially if there are scenarios where the workload could change dramatically within the course of that first month and then suddenly you've made a workload based play that kills your team hurts your upside or gets you off of a player that could be a league winner for you shout out mike davis (laughs) i think there's a little bit of an element of that here in these rookie drafts where i mean thornton's being hit maybe a little bit too much because of the combination of depth chart and his underwhelming production but it wasn't production again really to the level of like a christian watson where you're like i just don't know if this guy can do it at all i mean thornton projects at the very least as a role player and when you've a role player with the the four two speed again we talk about the guys who do emerge when maybe they didn't have everything you wanted you talk about a dj chark or a chase claypool i mean guys who stand out among nfl athletes i think you want to take a chance on so then the good news was that he did fall to us, right? And so the next couple picks here, Khalil Shakir, a similar kind of production profile to Dubs, uh, probably a little bit better, but also a little bit more blocked. Does get to play with Josh Allen. Very, very good part of his outlook now going forward. And then Jelani Woods at the 404. See him mid-third yeah. to, you know, in anywhere back kind of in this range and probably someone we would have talked about if we didn't have you know four young tight ends already yeah very much so very much so and so those guys go we like those picks and now we're back trying to figure out who to take and if we can trade out here we're trying to make a move for jk dobbins but it is a situation where we are emotionally attached to our most valuable pieces and then for obvious reasons, you know, a, a three or four for one can be tricky for the manager who has Dobbins. And, and I just have to say, this is the the creativity that I, I love. I love about playing with you. Like you, you're like the the Pablo Picasso of fantasy football. Like we're on the board at 405, and you and somebody expresses interest, and you're like, How can 
this be a piece of a trade that gets us J.K. Dobbins? I, my brain would never get there. <laughs> that is not something I could do. I don't know how you're so good at this, but uh, you actually put together a really interesting trade when we were on the clock at the 402. They politely declined, but said it, you know, we might have something in the future. So we're still looking with that uh, individual at the 405 to potentially acquire Dobbins. Obviously, the fourth round pick is not the major part of the deal, but it's uh, it's 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 amazing to watch you work, how you just managed to go from, oh, you're interested in trading into our, our fourth round pick. Well, let's talk about a massive deal for J.K. Dobbins. <laughs> I do like to do very large deals. The rest of that, obviously, is is unjustified, but I appreciate it from Ben. I do like to do the creative ones, the big ones, um, because for, for some of the reasons you pointed out, if you're not lined up with the other manager on the values of guys, it's, it's hard if you're doing a one for one and it's like, okay, well now does a round two do it? Does a round three do it? Does a round two, three flip do it? You know, in some of those cases it will, but you know, it's, why not add two more pieces on both sides? Because <laughs> then you can get multiple guys maybe that you like and get out of some players who maybe you have too much exposure to. And so Ben, do you, do you remember our, our trade offer here? We were looking to part with, Hunter, Hunter Renfro. Renfro. And again, I mean, Hunter Renfro is not a sexy piece, but you look at his redraft ADP and people who are trying to win now, and this other manager does have a, a good team that could win right away, especially with an extra wide receiver. You know, that's that's not nothing. Yeah, he's good. And he's got the relationship with Derek Carr. I mean, obviously, Devontae Adams coming in is not great for Hunter Renfro. No one's saying it is, but it could also be a rising tide situation. We've seen that happen. A guy like Devonta Adams, you add that to the passing game, it could mean that Derek Carr has a great year. That's one of the big reasons you've been so excited about Derek Carr. Although you, your excitement about Derek Carr has those no bounds. It's been it's been around since the start of last year, since we started doing the show, uh, and, and we were talking more regularly. I, I did not understand how how high you were on Derek Carr until that happened. But look, if Derek Carr's better. Because of Devontae Adams, that's good for Adams. It's good for Darren Waller. It's good for Hunter Renfro, who's the clear third weapon in the passing game. Why can't this passing game have three good weapons? So, yeah, he's a, he's still a very usable piece. But, yeah, it was him and, and Tyrion Davis-Price, who we just took last round, and we talked about already on the show, and a future pick, I think a third, right? Yeah, future third and then the 402, which, again, we're not trying to overstate the value of those picks or that someone else coming in for them should be overvaluing them either. But when you do know that someone has an interest in a pick, and I mean, frankly, if we had Tyquan Thornton already on our roster or Romeo Dubs already on our roster, I mean, those would be guys that, I mean, they're legitimate pieces, I think, in a trade offer. Yeah, absolutely. There's still some good names here, like we said. I mean, we just talked about Khalil Shaker and Jelani Woods going. Some of that is because the veterans can go, and we took Gainwell and Marlon Mack and Jameson Crowder, Terrace Marshall, Mitchell Trubisky have all gone. So you're talking more like late third rookie picks. Again, as much as I love Justin Ross and truly do, Justin Ross going 309 has pushed some guys down that probably should go ahead of Justin Ross, like a Jelani Woods and a tight end premium probably should. I mean, I don't know. I'd probably take Ross, but uh, I, I, I can't fault the guy for taking him at 309. Let's put it that way. Looking at another trade here at 405 to try to get Dobbins, we probably aren't going to get that done. Obviously, it's a big, you know, it's a big ask to to bridge that whole gap. If we don't, Sean, we are likely to be taking Thornton, right? And getting both Dubs and Thornton. 
We are. We do have another player that we really like here. We might not mention his name in case the draft slows down dramatically over the next 24 hours before the show releases. But then there are a lot of guys. I mean, we have the pick. We have 502 as well. And that is the pick that we're hoping that our next player makes it to and or that we can trade up from. And to give a sense of some of the good names still left here, Pierre Strong, uh, Blair and I took him in the mid-third yesterday, and we're already now into the mid-fourth. Ty Chandler is someone else I've been writing about as one of these you know, late-round discounts who, number one, is very athletic. Number two appears to have a scenario where he could break out. Greg Dulcich, even after the bad landing spot, is interesting. Uh, listeners to our buddy Pat Crane in general and, and anybody who listened to him on the road of his OT show knows how he feels about him within this group of tight ends. And again, I mean, you're talking about a guy where in tight end premium and the value of these mid round picks, you know, it's interesting. He's still there. Naheem Hines is still there. But if we were have, but have roster spots, we would love to get him. I mean, he's going to be somebody in the bye weeks where, I just think he's going to be very playable with Matt Ryan. Tyler Beatty has been a favorite. Deontay Foreman looks like the CMC handcuff. Tylen Wallace could now be a starter for the Baltimore Ravens. Hayden Hurst moves into that tight end slot with the Cincinnati Bengals. And Hurst has been really an enigma, but there's a possibility that he would actually be a little bit of an upgrade there. So you're getting that with Joe Burrow. Johnu Smith, uh, you you get the impression that the one guy they clearly want to use more now that Josh McDaniels is no longer there is Johnu. That doesn't mean he's going to be a big fantasy piece, but still somebody that we're we're looking for a breakout. So there are guys stretching well into the next round. That doesn't even mention some of the rookies like Jerome Ford. Uh, another one of my drafts, Jamal Williams went in this range uh, this morning. So, I mean. There are some good guys here. I was chatting yesterday with with Curtis Patrick because you know he was mentioning Adam Troutman and, and I was saying I didn't realize that Troutman had some fantasy value. I, I need to get back out of him in some leagues, even if it's for fourth or fifth round picks. If he does, and Curtis was was going through the thesis there. So there's, I mean there there are a number of players. Oh, and Hassan Haskins who shows up way down the board. Now there are a few of these guys where you might actually get a little bit of a discount specifically in FFPC because where they show up in the queue based on the pre-draft ADPs uh, is maybe giving you a little bit of an advantage. Would you say that that's the case here, Ben? I, the two guys I wanted to ask you about related to, again, this area where Zamir White and Brian Robinson are going would be Pierre Strong and Hassan Haskins. I guess I don't know that Haskins should be considered a significantly worse prospect than brian robinson and he now is in this situation where well, we just saw what deontay foreman was able to do when derrick henry went down and you know we'd like to think that that's going to be the one time it happens but running backs who handle that kind of workload uh, they just have a lot that is asked of them he's getting a little bit older so for Haskins to go 131, and again, that's not a draft slot that in any way locks you into some kind of role for sure, but that's above Tyler Algier. It's a few picks after Pierre Strong. It's a few picks after Isaiah Spiller. It's definitely in the same range with Zamir White, who 
I don't know. I'm, I'm rooting for White. I think I mean, he seems like a, just an unbelievable guy. You, you read a little bit more about him and some of the things that he does off the field. You know, I, I'm not saying that I necessarily know that much about it, but I, I love to root for these people who seem to be just very good in the community and with some of the things that, that he's involved in. But as you mentioned earlier, he just I mean, he's he's buried right. The commander situation is terrible. Pierre Strong also buried but a fantastic athlete. And so the discount that you're getting on strong and Haskins relative to these other guys, especially if you made the decision last year or earlier in this draft trading up, had to spend some of your assets or you traded last year and now your picks are later. I mean, these seem like guys to hammer and get basically the exact same value that other managers are getting at the end of the second round. They did go into day three. And I think that we, we draw this sharp cutoff on day two capital and day three capital. And yet at running back, we need to be grading on a, li- a little bit of a scale. Only six backs went before day three this year. That's where we're at in the NFL. None of them went around one, even Brees Hall, who are, you know, five, seven years ago, arguably would have went in the top 10. So you have these guys that go in round three, Tyrion Davis Price being one. And you mentioned, this idea that the pre-draft ranking seemed to have influenced a little bit his slip because he was, you know, lower down in the draft room and Ross was higher. It's an example of, you know, Ross was, was viewed more favor favorably pre-draft until he went undrafted. And so, you know, the, the, the pre-draft rankings haven't necessarily updated. And so that might've been why he went in the third round. Some of it does seem like some of those things are influencing what we're seeing happen in the actual draft, but Tyrion Davis-Price goes in round three. Brian Robinson goes in round three. Both of them after the 90th pick. So right towards the very end of round three. And then you get five backs in round four. And you mentioned a bunch of them. But Damian Pierce was a round four guy. And because people like the leaning spot, they don't care so much about that. But yeah, Pierce Strong, Hassan Haskins both wind up in round four. Haskins looks like he's ticketed to potentially be the direct backup to Derrick Henry. He was only the 10th running back taken. That's not particularly low in the class. Like you said, ahead of Tyler Algier. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to make a case for these types of backs in this situation. Wasn't a very favorable class. And I'm not saying a round, round four draft capital is huge. But when you look at the way the NFL is treating running backs and they are, you know, waiting until round. I mean, essentially the only ones that even went in the, in the top it's not essential. The only ones who went in the top 60 picks were Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker, who we sort of knew. James Cook goes right at the end of round two to Buffalo, 63rd pick. And then there were three, like I said, in the third round. And that That is almost, to me, indistinguishable for some, from some of these guys that go in the fourth round because, you know, we know that essentially these teams are telling us they wanted one of the, no, certainly not one of the top two backs, but one of the other backs Maybe they didn't want to take that pick in the third round where they had another position they were targeting, but they did it in the fourth round, which is still a pretty competitive pick is the point I'm trying to make at running back at this point. It still, you know, tells us something. And so again, yeah, I'm with you on Pierre Strong and Hassan Haskins getting that fourth round capital and not seeing it as, as much of a negative as some people seem to be. And you look at Haskins, somebody who at 228 pounds had 1450 yards from scrimmage last year 20 touchdowns you know it's not something where with his overall profile and his backup to derrick henry that i'm going out of my way to draft him or that i've drafted him yet in these drafts that are ongoing and so i don't want to 
you know, suggests that you have to get him on your team. If we felt that way, we would have made a different move. But I think there's a compelling thesis there, especially if you don't have the picks to get some of these other guys. Remember that the values can shift pretty dramatically. And there are some other people, as you just said, drafted in that fourth round range who have a lot of potential upside with the way that the running back position works these days. So Ben and I are going to go back to the drawing board here. We're going to try and either make this pick or get it traded. We apologize to our league mates who are eagerly awaiting us making this selection, but we've had a great time with all of you again today. That'll do it for today's episode of Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretchen. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. If you want to join us at Rotoviz, you can use the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout to get the 10% discount. Ben, we've mentioned a lot of the FFPC drafts that we're doing here. Conor Driscoll and I are making our way through an underdog draft that has been an absolute blast. We've got a really cool construction going. We'll probably chat about that on some of the shows in the near future. I'll have a breakdown of that on the site. If you want to join us drafting over at Underdog, you can use the coupon code ROTOVIZ. When you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100, and you won't regret getting over there and playing. It's just it's too much fun. Uh, if you can subscribe to our feed, you'll get these shows when they come out. We really appreciate that. Leave us a rating and review. You guys have been amazing. We'll talk to you soon.